every successful person got there by going through tough times. Success is a hard-ass teacher who likes to knock you around along that journey. You know, it takes real guts to not give up and keep going. We'll hear stories about failures and how these leaders flip the script to create success. I'm John Schultz. Join me and let's discover how success is never really overnight. So welcome to the John Schultz podcast. I'm so happy to be here today with Didi Griesbauer, an amazing person. Uh, I know I start off saying that with all my guests, but I can't help it because they're all amazing. I just I have to do it. I can't I can't help myself. But I'm going to go through a little bit of uh, the highlights of this uh, of Didi and, and this incredible story we're going to hear. First of all, she's a professional athlete. She is a three time Ironman champion. And in her second year as a pro, she won one. I mean, out, out, out of control. A 2020 Ultraman world record holder at 50. I'm over 50, so you're giving me all this energy. Just by reading that, I feel more energized. Uh, in 2021, you were the second fastest Ironman, Ironman bike split ever by a woman. You swam at Stanford, team captain, 10 NCAA All-American Honors, and a 1992 NCAA champion. USA swim team, 1989 through 1994, an MBA at Wharton, an equity trader. I mean, like, this is like out of control. I'm, I'm feeling like I, I got to go out and do more after this podcast. But uh, welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. I, I've listened to a couple of your podcasts, and I think I'm, I'm one of the more unusual guests. At least my career path is slightly different to some that have been on your show in the past. So I, I appreciate the opportunity to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, unusual is you've just done more. So that's what's <laughs> unusual about you. So there you go. So so thank you for coming. So happy to, to be here with you. So I'm so interested on how people evolve. Uh, and, you know, how did they get all these thoughts in their minds? And, and how did they get in the direction that they go? So I'd like, to, and, and I know, you know, it's funny, I've, I've heard you say you're, you're an anti-specialist and you've been your whole life, right? So let's go back to when you were a little girl and, and how did this happen for you as far as getting uh, yourself into, whether it's sports or just this focus that you have? Yeah, I, I was a sporty kid. Like I liked, you know, it was a different era, right? So it was come home from school, throw your book bag on the ground and go outside and be home by dark, right? And get into all kinds of mischief and trouble and, you know, whizzing around the neighborhood on our bikes and hanging out at playgrounds. And so I was, I was a sporty kid, but I was dreadfully unathletic. Um, so any sort of organized sports, I played uh, basketball, soccer, tennis. Uh, I had a go at gymnastics that was very short-lived. Um, and I think my gymnastics coaches were thankful for that. Um, I wasn't super coordinated. I was kind of a gangly kid. And so the, the safest place for me was in the pool uh, and grew up not, you know, my parents were athletic, but not pushy at all. And so my introduction to swimming really was just country club, just dropped me off at the pool in the morning and picked me up in the evening with my eyes like bleeding from all the chlorine. Um, and, and I sort of took to swimming, but it was always something that just sort of fit in around the rest of my life. It was never a, a singular focus. Um, when my parents realized that morning workout at 5 a.m. before school was 
part of the swimming trajectory, uh, they decided that boarding school was an excellent option. Uh, so off I went to boarding school uh, in Connecticut, but I had a passion for, I don't know, seeing what was possible for myself. It wasn't about setting records or, um, I never saw myself as, sure, I had this sort of Olympic aspiration because you watch the Olympics on TV and it's, it's you know, it's eye-opening and they just seem like, you know, superheroes out there. And, and so I, I wanted that, but I never actually really thought it was possible, but I was curious to see what was possible. It's amazing. So, all right. So it's funny because, you know, hockey, some of these sports, you got to, for ice time, you got to be up so early in the morning for the parents. Yeah. It's such a crazy commitment. Uh, but now my new advice is you should send them to boarding school, right? So you don't have to get up early. <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, no joke. You talk about ice hockey. I mean, uh, Angela Ruggiero went to the same uh, boarding school that I did. So I think her parents wised up the same way and they're like, no 4 a.m. ice sessions. You're going to boarding school. And it's the same for my parents with the pool. They're like, uh, yeah, I don't know that uh, 5 a.m. swim workouts are, are necessarily in our comfort zone. So off you go. And, and and honestly, I didn't do this, the doubles. I didn't swim morning workouts in boarding school. It just, it was a seasonal sport. I, it, it gave me ultimately better balance and patience. I mean, you look at kids today and they're specializing in a sport at six years old and have, you know, eight different private coaches because they're all going to the majors. And um, that kind of, I never had that kind of pressure. Swimming was always something that I loved, but it was something that grew organically. I, I love I, like when you said this anti-specialist, I, I love that because I don't think any of us truly really know what our gifts are. The whole part of life to me is searching for that. And yeah. then all of a sudden it, it may show up and, you know, look, look at you 50 years old winning an ultra man. I mean, th that, that's the beauty of not actually specializing. And I've also heard you say, you know, the shiny object going after the shiny object, which is your goal, right? But to you- sure shiny object isn't an exact thing it's just a, so so give us how that drives you like because you, obviously you have a lot of drive and as a young person you showed that right you you committed early not everybody does but so, but in, in the trials and tribulations of getting there is what makes the person what what did what, what would you say inspired you and how did it sort of move around well post collegiate swimming i mean my, my career up through my swimming years was fairly, I mean, I don't wanna say fairly traditional because I was given an extraordinary opportunity and gift to be able to swim at the level that I did. Uh, the incredible thing about surrounding yourself with extraordinary people is that you come out of those experiences feeling actually quite mediocre. So I came out of Stanford swimming feeling like not that great a swimmer because I never made an Olympic team, right? I went to two different Olympic trials, never made it. Um, but I did achieve quite, you know, quite a lot in the process of trying to get there. So when I retired from swimming, my life was sort of conventional at that point. I, I wanted to further my education. Uh, I got into Wharton um, and started a career on Wall Street, all very traditional stuff. And just during my second year of studies at Wharton, I was, I was studying for finals and I was kind of burnt out and I turned on the TV and I saw the Iron Man. And I was just gobsmacked. I was like, this is unbelievable. Like, this is insane. Like, where do I sign up? <laughs> and, and I did one again, driven by that sort of curiosity of, is this possible? Can I do this? I, I had, you know, obviously the swimming background, I had done some running, which I, I enjoyed in the summer before business school, I had ridden my bike across the country um, with a boy I was trying to impress. 
<laughs> so I had sort of the individual pieces. And so I saw this on TV and I decided that for the three months I had between finishing business school and, and starting my career on Wall Street, I was just going to train as hard as I could and, and take a swing at this Ironman thing. And I did it and it was a bucket list and I was done. But was that, be, is that like, cause like not being able to go on to the hot, like, listen, where you went and swimming is off the charts. And obviously you weren't even recruited. Like you actually got on the team, you know, through your perseverance and determination, which I also uh, know that that's a big uh, trait that you have, but you know, when you didn't get there and you went into business, what got you to, you know, what was the thing in your brain to go do this next thing? Or was it just something to try and just, you know? It was really like, for me, it was a way to, I've always, I've been a lifelong athlete. And so after my retirement from swimming, I just didn't think being a sedentary human being was in the cards for me. So I continued running. I ran some marathons just for exercise and good health. And I had done this one Ironman after business school. And I just had this thought in my head a few years later that I wanted to try it again. I wanted to train a little bit better. I wanted to be a little bit smarter. And I signed up for another Ironman uh, in 2002. And I ended up well, I, I didn't train any harder or smarter and I went in dreadfully underprepared, but managed to, because of the tremendous, and this isn't like, I'm not a superstar gifted athlete, but I had a tremendous aerobic engine from years and years and years of swimming that, that still, despite the fact that I had been five years retired from swimming or maybe even 10 by that point, um, it, it helped propel me. And I ended up qualifying for the Ironman world championship as an amateur. And it was at that point that I enlisted the help of a coach because I thought if I went out to the big island of Hawaii in the shape that I was in when I did the qualifying race, I would die. And ultimately, it was the coach who proposed a couple of years later. She said, you know, would you ever consider quitting your job and racing professionally? She said, I, I think you do really well. And that's where the shiny object comes in. It's like you see this shiny object in the store and you're like, I have to have that. It was just this gut response that I think I said yes before my brain even had time to process it. Um, you know, getting my husband on board actually was surprisingly easy as well because I, I came home that night and I told him, I was like, huh, oh, Karen said the craziest thing to me. She said, she, I should quit my job. Like I have a good job. Like I'm a vice president in an investment firm in, in Boston at that point. And, and I look at my husband, got him a little drunk, but I was like, you know, Karen said the craziest thing. She said, I should quit my job and race professionally. And he sobered up on a dime. And he's like, if you don't go in and quit tomorrow, I'm going to quit for you. Um, and so we both just sort of had this reaction. Like at the time, I didn't envision myself being a world champion, a world record holder, any of that. I just knew that it was something I had to try to do. And I thought it would honestly just be a crazy adventure for a year or two. And then I'd be right back in the seat trading stocks a couple of years later. But then it just kind of, it, it took off and it's just, every step along the way has felt like the right thing and it's not conventional. And I think my parents are still getting over it, but <laughs> because it is so unusual, but I have really just turned this passion that I have literally into an entire career that I never had envisioned when I took my job on wall street. <laughs> you know, it's funny. It's like most pro athletes, their second career is like investing in tech startups or actually getting a, like a, a real job. Like, you're completely the opposite. Here you are on Wall Street, successful, MBA warden, you know, obviously very smart. And you you did what everyone in my mind somehow on the planet wants to do, which is actually do what they 
are here on the planet for their gift. How, yep. how, how do you, I mean, I, I know you asked, how does that decision process happen? Because, you know, obviously that's not an easy decision. It, it was not an easy decision. It was actually quite frankly terrifying. Um, when I went in, it was like, I am quitting my very well-paying Wall Street job to do something ridiculous. It, I, I can't tell you the number of people throughout my nearly 20 year career now as a professional triathlete have said, is that a real job? <laughs> like, no, no, not, it can't, can't be true. Like, tell me more about that. Like, it just doesn't make any sense when people ask what I do for a living. I was like, right. I start, I start easy. I'm like, I'm a professional athlete. Oh, and then they start to calculate my age a little bit. And they're like, what sport? <laughs> and then when I say triathlon, they're like, is that a real thing? So it's, it's so unconventional that it's actually almost laughable, but it, it just has been something that I have been drawn to do. And, and my husband and I have a little sit down every year and, and sort of decide like, is it worth one more year? Are we still loving this process? Because financially the other pro athletes have it right, right? They be a pro athlete and then they invest in tech startups and financially right. that's a better way to go. Like I did not quit my wall street job with visions that, that being a professional athlete was gonna make me a gazillionaire, right? I could have lived a very comfortable life living out my career as, as on Wall Street and, totally. and made a lot of money, but probably not been as happy or healthy as I feel like I am right now. And, and ultimately that is more important to me. Like at the end of the day, I, I'll be honest, I wouldn't mind a little more money, but how much money do you need, right? We're, we're happy, we're doing fine, we're living above the poverty line, like everything is fine, we can pay our bills. And this just has felt like a much better way, a much more organic way. It feels much more like me than I felt when I was sitting on a trading desk. Well, and, you're and don't get me wrong, being on the trading desk was very much in line with my personality. It's competitive, it's fast paced, it's, it's all of those right. things. But when I'm presented with this alternative, it's like pick A or B and it's like A, just absolutely A. And there was no question about it. And the fact that I've been able to keep that ball rolling and turn it into a career that not only includes racing professionally, but coaching. Um, I do live commentary for Ironman um, and all sorts of other sort of ancillary things. Um, it's just really exciting. So take us to that race that, you know, that pin, would you call it the pinnacle? The, the the Ultraman win? I mean, yeah, not yet. There's, there's more to come. So oh. the, the realization, right? So I, I've had a really good Ironman career. And in 2016, I had some run injuries and I, I wasn't able to run, but I was able to bike. And my coach had the suggestion that there's an event called the time trial world championship, and you could choose your duration of six, 12 or 24 hours. And so she presented this as, as sort of something for me to sink my teeth into while dealing with a run injury. It, it was a goal. It was a focus. It was, it was something, you know, other than just training, which I still enjoy the process, but without a goal in sight, it does get hard over a period of time. And so she presented me with this race and she's like, you choose the duration. You can do six, 12 or 24, but I think this would be great for you to do. And so I looked at the distances. I was like, yeah, six hours. I was like, I ride six hours twice every week. Like that, that doesn't, inspire me. The 24 scared me a little bit because for as hard as I work, I, I sleep more than most infants. Like I go to bed at seven o'clock at night and I was like, I can't race through the night. I was afraid of the, the sleep deprivation aspect of it. So I was like, 12 hours seems like a good hedge between like being sort of gnarly, but not totally insane. So I chose the 12 hours. 
and this was in 2016. And I got about eight hours into that race. And I, I set a course record of 258 miles in 12 hours. I beat all of the men in the race. My husband is standing in the feed zone. They're essentially a parking lot where every time you go through, it's a looped course. So it's 18 miles. You just ride as many times around this 18 mile loop as you can in, in 12 hours. And people were saying to him that like, they, they were chatting, right? And they're like, who is the woman out there? And he was afraid to say anything, but he eventually was like, yeah, that's my wife. They're like, dude, she's gnarly. And I had this realization at, at hour eight, 12 hours in, I'm happy as a clam. I don't feel tired. I'm not, you know, getting irritated. I, I just, I was happy as a clam. And I had this realization of like, oh, snap. Like, I think I'm good at this ultra endurance stuff. And it was this realization that like, where else could I go? Like, I have the mindset for it. And, and the thought of riding my bike for 12 hours straight didn't phase me at all. And that was my parlay into sort of the ultra world, like beyond Ironman, like Ironman in itself, it's 140.6 miles in a single day, 2.4 miles of swimming, 112 miles of biking and running a marathon. And the fact that there's something even crazier beyond that, um, I just, again, I was like, I wonder how I, I do with that. And it took, it took several years because it just didn't fit into um, my Ironman racing career at the time. And so when I finally got it together to race Ultraman, um, yeah, I raced Ultraman Florida. And at, at the time had no concept that they kept world records for things like that. And before it's a three-day event. So day one, 10K swim, uh, 91 mile bike. Day two, 171 mile bike day three, double marathon. So it's three days, which actually is kind of cushy. It's not like all, you get to sleep in between, which again, very important to me. But the night, be the, the night before the final day, I sat down with my coach. Um, she was part of my crew. You're, you're self-supported through this. So you have a crew that follows you around in a van and essentially feeds you and takes care of you and looks after you. So she was part of my crew. So we sat down the night before day three and she said, if you run, and I don't even remember the time, but it was a very manageable pace for me to hold through a double marathon. She's like, you'll break the world record for, for Ultraman. And I looked at her as if she'd shot my dog. And I was like, why would you tell me that? <laughs> and this is global, right? You're talking the global, yeah. it's yeah. crazy. Yeah, crazy. And, and, and so it, like, I didn't like the pressure necessarily of having this time, like the world record, it just had never occurred to me and yeah. having that added pressure going through day three. But her point was, look, you're going to be suffering out there like a dog. And she's like, you need to know why you're suffering. And so just having that notion of you could break a world record if you just stick with it was, was super, it ended up being a great inspiration and, you know, yeah, the world record, it, it's exciting. Um, but there's, there's still, there's more out there. There's more out there that I want to achieve with this distance. You know, I love this because, you know, you mentioned mindset, right. And, you know, swimming was there and you thought that was it. You had to make an, an adjustment. Then, and even this ultimate, it came from someone else believing in you, pushing you to do something else that you didn't even think of. So mentoring and mindset, because to me, I think those are the keys to like success in, in longevity. What can you give the audience as far as, I mean, like, cause yours discipline and I would say mindset oriented as anyone I've ever sp spoken to. What, what, what advice, what experiences would you give them to, to know what that actually means? Because yeah, everyone I mean, reads it, right? It's like a word. Yeah, some people would call, like, again, um, 
it, it is a mindset. Other people would call that, call a spade a spade and just say, I'm stubborn as hell. Like I am, I'm stubborn. I get something in my head that I think should happen a certain way. And, and I force it to a point where sometimes it doesn't work out. And, and that's, that's gets. Would you ugly. call that conviction as much as stubborn or? It, it could be conviction, but there is a, there's a stubbornness. Like when I push myself in a race so hard that I black out and wind up on the pavement, that's not necessarily using right. that skill or that uh, personality trait in a positive way. But what I have discovered, and, and I guess my takeaway is that part of what got me into this in the beginning, I'm not a, a super gifted, talented athlete. Like I'm, I'm athletically almost completely inept. Like if you hand me a ball and a bat, I don't even know what to do with it. <laughs> But what I discovered, and everybody has this, this is available to everybody, whether it's in sport or in life, there's something that everyone's good at, right? For me, it is, it's to your point, persistence, determination, mindset, uh, drive. Um, and the drive isn't necessarily for the world record, it's a drive for personal excellence. But everybody has their own special gift and, and you could use that gift sort of day in and day out to achieve whatever it is you want to. So it can be just sort of maintaining a sense of humor in, in the face of failure constantly. Um, it can be for me, I've been knocked down plenty of times. I've had a great deal of success, but with all of those successes behind it are 10 or 15 failures. Um, so being willing to um, persist in the face of those failures, even when people are telling you to quit, Whatever it is that you're good at, you can use that um, to outperform your, your God-given gifts. Like it's not talent for me, it's, it's persistence and mindset. It's persistence. So, and you know, the magic question, how do you find that gift? You know, cause I'm, I'm looking at your career and it's almost as if you never would have known unless someone pushed you. So I guess it's just being around, hanging around the hoop, I mean, I'll actually take the flip side of that and be, and say that it's because people said I couldn't, right? I mean, the best Love way that. to get me Love to do that. something is to tell me, and my husband makes a joke of it. He's like, I bet you can't unload that dishwasher. <laughs> Listen, you, you gotta, you gotta use it, you know, to get all different things, right? All different I mean, results. It was honestly, I mean, going all the way back to my Stanford career, it was the fact that I was recruited by other schools and great schools and had scholarship offers to some fantastic universities and swim programs. But Stanford was like, eh, if you get in, let us know. They didn't want me. And I was like, you guys made a mistake and I'm going to prove it to you that you were wrong. Um, same sort of thing with, with the Ironman I'm not a likely Ironman champion. I'm just, I'm not. Um, and even now, given my age and what I'm trying to achieve at the age of 51, people are skeptical and that fires me up. So it's not that I was, I was encouraged by, by some very special people along the way, but I was also doubted by a lot of people that gave me, gave me a fire in my belly for sure. You're like Rudy, you're like Rocky. You're Michael Jordan-esque. I'm, I mean, I'm, you, I'm a combination of Rudy and Rocky. There you go. <laughs> if, 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 you, if you watch Michael Jordan's documentary, it's all about him firing himself up, finding ways to fire yourself up, finding your ways 
you know, to, 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 I guess, ignite that gift, whatever it is, especially when it comes to sports, but that can be applied to business that can yeah. be applied to music. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, it's like, it's like, cause you are your own worst enemy. And I guess you being in a sport, that's all you, what, what, like what tidbits can you give us on, you know, how to apply that maybe even just to everyday life. Right. Uh, cause well, you know, I, mean, I guess that's just to my point is that it, it, we all have that special gift. Right. And it's, it is, it's up to you to figure out what it is, but I think we all know it right in the back. You might not be courageous enough to acknowledge it because we all tend to be our own worst critic, right. In, in putting ourselves down, like, Oh, that's not possible. You could never do that. But if you just give yourself the chance, right? You don't have to invest your entire life into this crazy idea. But if you have this business idea that you think is possible, make it be a side hustle for a little while and nurture it and see where it can go. I think the, the, the biggest tragedy is to not try. And that's why when my coach suggested I quit my job and race professionally, I was like, when am I going to have an opportunity to do something like this? Like to me, being a Wall Street trader, like I can do that almost any time, right? It, it just wasn't special to me. But when you have that special opportunity, you have that special idea, don't just run away from it because it seems hard or you don't know how you're going to get to the finish line with it. If you just start it and nurture it, it, it can grow to things that you would never think would be possible. Well, like you said, the ego's pounding. You're like, you can't do that. You yep. can't be that. Yep. You're not yep. good enough to do that. Yeah, and, like and, you're, you're a businessman. You can't start a career as a musician. Well, why can't you go home and practice for a few hours a night and, and play at a club on a weekend and, and see where it goes? Like, even if it's, it, I have bucked convention from the start, like walking away from a perfectly good job to do what? Like, it makes no sense. Um, but at the same time, it, it's led to this wonderful thing. So there, there is a gut check and you can't be reckless, but- a calculated decision making, yeah, go for it. But you have to believe it. Like you yeah. have to believe it. I mean, look, look at you know uh, McDonald's, Ray Kroc. Look at Kentucky Fried Chicken, uh, Sumner Redstone from Viacom. They were all in their fifties when they started their company. And there's many more out there. And you're you know on the athletic side of of creating you know unbelievable things. And and I think we're all living older anyway. I love the side hustle note, right? Because just try things and you just never know where, cause someone may come to you just, they, they came to you and said, why don't you try this? Yep. Or why don't you meet this person? But if you're not in and around it, it's never gonna, it's never gonna happen. Right, absolutely, absolutely. So how did you come back? Cause you know, again, there's also different levels of, of belief. In 2011, you had huh. this crazy crash, right? Like how many bones did you break? Six. And and how did you, you know, like come back from that? I mean, I, I want people to hear these comeback stories because like the myth to overnight success means there's gonna be a lot of stuff that you're gonna have to deal with to actually get to that, you know, ultra man win. So right. how'd you come back? Well, I, I would say if I had to pick a career low, uh, that would absolutely be it. Um, so I raced uh, Ironman Frankfurt. It's the European championship uh, in July of 2011. And somewhere in the course of the bike leg, I entered a roundabout and it had just started to drizzle a little bit. Uh, and the, the roundabout ended up being lined with cobblestone and wet cobblestone is probably, it, it's worse than ice. 
um, okay. so I, I crashed. My wheels went right. I went left. I was I was riding at about 22 miles an hour when it happened. Um, and so, yeah, I, I skidded along the pavement, kind of like a pebble on a, on, a, on a lake, and I ended up breaking six bones. I was airlifted um, to a trauma center in Frankfurt. Uh, didn't know, one of the curses of having my last name be Griesbauer, everyone assumed I was German. So these German doctors would come in and start babbling at me in German. I was like, I have no idea what you're saying. I was by myself. My husband wasn't with me. Um, so it was, it was scary. I wasn't aware of the extent of my injuries uh, because my, my head was cleared. Uh, I was released three days later. They wanted to admit me to general war, but I really just wanted to get back to the United States. So I knew I had a broken elbow. I did not realize I, and I assumed I had some broken ribs. I did not realize I had broken my pelvis in two places as well as my hip when I started to travel through two major international airports on my way back to the United States. So um, it wasn't until I arrived back uh, that I realized the extent of my injuries. And I was told by an orthopedic trauma specialist that it was over. I would never be able to run again, that I would never be able to compete again. And I knew I was facing a hugely long recovery. And by that point, I was 41, which is already pretty old for an endurance athlete. And I thought, mm, yeah. this might be it. But my love of the sports, and, and it wasn't necessarily at that point about salvaging my professional racing career. It was just the fact that I love to run. And, and I wanted to be able to, even if it's to run three miles three times a week until I'm 80, I want right. to be able to do that. Right. And, and so I, I had to start the rehabilitation process. I wasn't willing to accept that I would never run again. I wanted to see if I could heal in such a way and get strong enough in such a way that I would be able to run again, because it wasn't, a, it wasn't about career at that point. It was about love of sport and love of physical activity and realizing that, that being an active human being makes me happy. It makes me a more productive human, whatever my job is. Um, and, and so I got to the point where I could run and my bike numbers were starting to come around and I was like, well, why can't I race again? And it, it wasn't an easy trajectory. It wasn't like, oh yeah, I'm running, bam, I'm back out on a race course because I, my return was too aggressive and I suffered injuries for probably three years after that because I had such horrific imbalances left to right side because all of my injuries were on my left side. And so while I did come back, it was not a linear path back to, yes, I'm, I'm the way I was before my crash. Um, but it's made me a stronger athlete because I've realized the importance of being in the gym. Um, it, it's, it's made me a, a better athlete ultimately because of the things I had to go through during those years of, of coming back to, to full racing. Amazing. I mean, you know, and if you see it a little bit in Tiger, right, what he's going through in the golf world, right? I the mean, the fact that he's out there at all, like, as my husband said, he's probably doped up on so many painkillers, you don't even want to know about it. But the fact that he's even playing when it, it seemed obvious at the time that there's no way he's ever going to be able to load that leg again. And the fact that he's out there playing professional golf and, and making cuts is, is really, it's unbelievable. It's, it's, it's incredible. So would you say like, what, 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 so what, what was your most valuable teaching moment? All right. Cause you've had so many things go on in your career. You know, was it that accident? Like, like what was the sort of biggest thing you, 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 that, that helped you in your, your, you know, what, whatever I, I guess, time you're on? I mean, I guess it goes back to, you know, my college decision process that when Stanford said, no, I, I don't think no is a roadblock. <laughs> I just, I don't think it's, I don't think no is a roadblock. Find a way around. 
Um, the answer might be no, but there's always a way to find a way around. No, you're not good enough to swim at Stanford. No, it's completely unrealistic to walk away from your well-paying Wall Street career at the age of 35 and become a professional athlete. Um, no, um, you're never going to compete again. I, I just think ultimately it's the old saying, when there's a will, there's a way. Um, no, is, is, it's not the final answer. I love that. And listen, you're, but it, I, people need to see extreme to maybe dial a little bit in their own lives, right? Because like not everyone's going to be able to do what you do and they shouldn't have to. Everyone has their unique thing, but- I, I don't hear... advocate, like I don't advocate. Like I, I, I'm not saying run out and do an Ironman, but hey, if you don't think you can run a 5K, get up and walk around the block a few times. Like it's going to make you better ultimately. Again, like I said, no, you can't have this musical career if you're a whatever financial consultant. Well, you know what? Try, like try. <laughs> You know, it's so good. So I always say, like, how do people find their voice in their industry? And, you know, you're in a, a male-dominated industry, I guess, uh, as far as training. Or is that, is that, cha like, is that changing? It's yes and no. I, I am very blessed. We as triathletes are very blessed that the sport of triathlon has had equal prize money from the onset. Great. Terrific. Males, men and women are paid exactly the same in prize money. The difference comes in sponsorship, Right. A male might make X number of dollars for a bike sponsor. A woman probably makes half that. Um, for some reason, there is still this convention that men sell bikes um, and women can't. Um, and, and so that we, we lag in certain areas. We lag in representation. Uh, we have fought for uh, about 10 years now to get equal starts at the Ironman World Championship. It was always based on size of field. So the men, there'd be maybe... 50 men and 35 women. But finally this year, after a very long battle, we're getting equal starts and that's equal visibility and, and so on and so on. So in some ways we are very equal in terms of prize money, which is very that's unusual great. in professional sport, but in other ways we still lag behind. And then the, now you're announcer, right? So how did that, uh, how's that feel to actually be, cause that's media, right? That's even a different way to, you know, enjoy what you do, maybe even longer, right? When you can't, a hundred percent. They, they invited me to be a part of their live broadcast team. And at first I was a bit intimidated. I said, I'm not a professional commentator. I, I don't know the first thing about how to do this. They said, no, but you know a lot about the sport and my passion for the sport. Uh, and I can share that passion with people that are watching, whether it's supporters of the athletes out on the race course uh, or people who sort of trip on the broadcasts accidentally and are like, hey, what's this? This is kind of cool. Because that's how I found the sport, right? I turned on TV and there it was. And, and so if I can do that for somebody else um, and, and motivate them to try something outside of their comfort zone, not necessarily an Ironman, start with a sprint. But if you can be inspired to be a better version of yourself, um, I'm happy to play that role. And it's made me a smarter athlete because I watch the best in our sport executing at their craft. And some days they have brilliant days and they're absolutely unstoppable and I'm inspired. And other days they're lying on the side of the road because something went wrong. And you learn through watching how important it is resilience and, and staying with it and what can happen. So it's made me a smarter athlete as well. And you're creating longevity for yourself. I mean, it's just another way to create and be around what you love. And you, you know, you, you, you're, you're certainly qualified to be doing that. And, and I'm sure, uh, 
you know, that could be and go on longer and longer in your career, which is terrific. Make you be around it, right? Like, cause you always want to be around what you love. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I don't want to outlast the love of, of the sport. Like sometimes you find athletes that get burnt out in their sport and, and they end up sort of hating it, resenting it. I want to quit while I still love it. <laughs> but I, right now I feel good about that. I, my love level is still high, so I'm, I'm doing okay. That's awesome. Well, I, I want to thank you. I mean, if this doesn't give people motivation, uh, I don't know what would uh, listening to this. And uh, I wish you all the best of luck. I really appreciate you coming on. How can people find you? Because we want to, you know, obviously uh, have the audience, you know, if they want to learn more about you, what's the best way? Uh, I have a website, ddgreesbauer.com. I think most of my social engagement goes on through Instagram and I'm at ddgreesbauer. So you can find me, find me there. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks everyone for uh, listening. I, do, I, I, I I'm, you know, it's going to be awesome. And thank you again so much for being here. Uh, and I will hopefully uh, meet you in person soon. Yeah, John, thanks so much for having me. What a great opportunity. I really enjoyed it. Thank you.